No. I'm glad that you are here tonight. Now, if you were one of the first 20 people here, you got a stack of five index cards with the promise that there would be a test. If you weren't one of the first 20 here, I ran out of cards. Sorry. Uh, I'm not going to tell you you could use the cards in the back of the pew in front of you. That would seem self-evident, but uh, I might get shot if I told you to do that. So uh, just be aware there are cards there. Now, here's the deal with the test. Nobody, including me, nobody is going to see your answers. And so this really is, it's a, a test, it's about you, and that's all that it is. So on your very first card, if you would, grab something to write with, grab that card, put it out there, and on that very, very first card, <clears throat> I'm stalling real quick. By the way, did you guys know that, well, what comes after Black Friday? Before Cyber Monday, between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, it's Small Business Saturday, followed by Bloody Sunday. Now, I can see a whole lot of you doing this. What do I mean by Bloody Sunday? Uh, today is the day that across our great nation, many, 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 many college football coaches are getting fired. And... About 2 o'clock this afternoon, I opened up my browser, and it had a list that was about that long of college coaches that have already been fired today, starting with Jimbo Fisher. How many millions did he get? $75 million for getting fired. Clay, could we make a deal? And it goes, I mean, just around us, we have Houston. Their coach got fired, and that's only a few years after they hired him away from West Virginia. And New Mexico, their coach got fired, and several others just right in this area, and that's only Division I schools. But why do you suppose that happens? Why do you have Bloody Sunday? Probably because on the day before, on Saturday, was their last gasp chance to hang on to their job if they beat their... Because usually the last Saturday of the regular season, which is right after Thanksgiving, usually that's the day that you have your rivalry games. So Alabama versus Auburn in the Iron Bowl yesterday. Kentucky versus Louisville. And by the way, it is Louisville. It is not Louisville. It is not Louisville. It's Louisville. Uh, but they really don't like each other. And so... When you lose those games and you're already having a down year, you tend to not get to keep your job. Lots of pressure, lots of tension, right? Now, hopefully, by the way, how many of you, when I handed out the cards and said we're having a test later, you said to yourselves or you thought, I ain't doing that, that's a bunch of bull. One, two, three, four, okay. So some of you, I ain't doing that. That's what, but this is for you. It really is. And so please, please take part. On that first card, on that very first card, I would like you to just simply write, during the hours that you are awake, what do you spend most of your time doing? Okay? And by the way, if you spend it in an office, but while you're in the office, you're playing blackjack on the computer, the answer wouldn't be at work, it would be plain blackjack, okay? Or 
solitaire or whatever. But put the thing that you spend most of your waking time doing. Thing number two. Card number two. If you've only got one card, maybe line number two. On card number two, I want you to write the name of the person in your life that you are absolutely the closest to. The one person that you are the closest to. And don't be looking at his card, Sharon. Nobody's going to see your card except you, and I made that promise to Joe too, so no. No cheating, and you can't copy his answer either, no. Okay, you ready? Card number three. Card number three, and I want you to think about this one for a minute, because this one may tie into number one, or it may tie into number two, but it may not. Write down the thing that you spend the most conscious time thinking or worrying about. The thing that you spend the most time thinking about, that you're aware you're thinking about it, okay? Trevor's looking at me like, I'm a guy. I think nothing. I'm a, tr a guy too, Trevor. I get that. Card number four. The thing that you would most like to have to get to experience as your number one priority in life. The thing that you would like to have or own to get or to experience. So maybe it's a fancy vacation. Maybe it's a date with, what's her name? Maybe, okay. And card number five. Everybody got their fifth card out? Card number five. The thing that you are the absolute most thankful for that's not already on your list, you could, your life would not be the same without. It could be a person. It could be money. It could be a job. It could be your health. It could be whatever. But the thing that you are the most thankful, grateful for, your life would not be imaginable without. Okay, you got your five cards. Take them, stick them maybe inside your songbook where nobody but you can see them. Just tuck them away for a minute. Okay, we'll come back to them. Once you have your five cards, go ahead, tuck them away, and we will get back to them. And then if you would, open your Bibles up to the book of Deuteronomy. As we've been Studying on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the names of God because the names that God gives himself through the Bible reveal things about who God is and his character. And in the United States, our English, we have big G God and we have little G God, and those are the only two words that we really use for God. But in the Bible, God reveals to us that 
there's much more there than just God. And that's a good thing because in our society, God has become so, well, ubiquitous that I guarantee you today if you were to go to Walmart and just listen to people walk by, within the first five minutes you'd hear somebody say something about, oh my God, or I swear to God, or some other terms using the name of God that are not appropriate by any means. And so when we come across the name of God, to us, we have a different understanding than much of the rest of the world today. But our understanding probably is still somewhat one-dimensional. For example, if I just say, I want you to think about God. How many of us picture God as being up there somewhere looking down over here and kind of almost the Michelangelo with his finger out moving things around? I see a couple of people doing this. We have this picture of God as somewhat distant. He's real but. And because of that, the way that we live our lives is defined by the way that we picture God. And so tonight, what we're going to look at is El Elyon, which the Bible in the Old Testament would have had as God Most High. Now, I want to point one thing out. A word has meaning. And L, if you haven't picked up on it by now as we've been doing this, L is the word for God. And if you look at this, you have God, and then you have God again. So you have God, God Most High. So this isn't just God, this is the Most High God. Now, how many of you got up on Thanksgiving Day, and while someone was cooking the dinner, you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Okay, four of us. You can attest to the truth of this. At one, by the way, the Texas Tech Red Raider Band, going band from Raider Land, got to march in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was great. They did well. But right before that, the band that was on before them was the band director's band. Now, it was a big band. I don't know if they said how many people I didn't listen. My guess would be probably 200, 250, anyhow, in this marching band. And it was all made up of people my age that looked a lot like me, except in uniforms. And they were all playing instruments. And every one of them was a band director at a school somewhere. And it was the band director's band. And my question is, who was directing the band director's band? I mean, that's like the boss band director, right? This is yes, because even the band directors, to be able to play together and be on time together and to be in harmony together, had to have a band director to do everything from getting them tuned to calling out the beat to doing all this stuff. And so you had the band director of the band director's band. How would that look on your resume? But in essence, that's what we're saying right here. This is the God of God Almighty. This is the God that is above all gods. And so Deuteronomy chapter 26, 16 through 19, it says this, The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God. 
and that you will walk in his ways, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. You see, he is the one above all others that we're to look to, that we're to listen to, that we're to pay attention to, that we're to set our hearts on, and that we're to build our relationship with. Flip over, if you would, to the book of Psalm. Psalm 57.2. And by the way, Psalm is about halfway through the Old Testament, if you aren't quite sure. Psalm 57. And if you look up there, this is a psalm of David. And he starts off in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now, why would David use the term to God most high? Well, in their society, in their day and age, in the world that they lived in, you had many foreign gods. And when I say you had many foreign gods, you had the gods that are specifically talked about in the Bible, like the Baals. And how many of you know about the Baals? Or the Asherahs? Or the... I see about three hands going up. As a reminder, the Baals... They were the ones that usually stood there and you would build a fire in them, around them, or near them. They held their hands out and when they were glowing red hot, you would do something like take your infant child and put in their arms to burn to death. The Asherah poles, they were the ones that looked like certain male body parts because you wanted things to be, well, fertile. And so you would worship using the Asherah pole at the planting time. And the Baals you would worship all the time when you wanted prosperity because you're saying, I'm going to give you everything, even my next one up, my heir. And so those are some of the big ones that the Bible calls out. But think for a minute about when the Israelites left Egypt. How many plagues were there? This is not part of the test. It's just a question. You can show me with your fingers if you want. Okay, ten plagues. Did you know that every single one of the plagues was an exact direct slap in the face of one of the Egyptian gods? They had a sun god that was in charge. And you see in the Egyptian hieroglyphics the sun god. And even the king himself up here on top of his crown, he had a picture of the sun. Because the sun god made the sun to rise and to set. And one of the plagues was darkness. Right? And you had the God of the Nile, and one of the plagues was the Nile turning into blood. And we could go all the way through it. If you think you've seen the picture of the Egyptian God that had the face and the head of a frog, and one of the plagues was the frogs. And every plague was a plague 
that was a slap in the face to one of the Egyptian gods. Why? Because God was saying, I am the God of gods. I am the Lord most high. There is none other besides me, and I'm the one you need to keep your eyes on. So David, down here in Psalm, what he's saying is, look, I could call out to any number of gods, and not only that, but we've all heard stories of people like Hercules, Achilles. We could rely on our own strength. How many of you know that David had a band of mighty men that surrounded him? And David's saying, I'm not relying on the strength of my mighty men. I'm not relying on the strength of my own hand. I'm not relying on the strength of any of these other gods or these foreign gods. I'm relying on the strength of God Almighty, the God of gods, the Lord Most High. That's who I'm calling on. Flip over to Psalm 58, or I'm sorry, Psalm 78. Verse 35, and if we back up to about 32, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning in spite of his wonders. They did not believe, so he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. How many of you are old enough that you remember 9-11? <clears throat> Billy, it's okay. You're not old enough to remember 9-11. That makes me really old. How many of you remember in the direct aftermath of 9-11 what happened as far as church attendance across the nation? How many of you remembered what happened in the direct aftermath of 9-11, what happened at all the football games when all of a sudden the first responders would come out and they would sing the national anthem and... My country, tis of thee, and things along those lines. Do you remember that? Why? Because all of a sudden a nation in crisis under attack felt the need to call out to God Most High. We were no longer capable of defending ourselves. Our nuclear arsenal wasn't enough. Our army, our navy, all that wasn't enough to keep the Twin Towers from getting wrecked. And so we didn't know what to do. And we fell on our faces corporately as a nation. And we said, we need God Almighty. And we called out to Him. And as soon as things went back to normal, we went, okay. Let's get back to the business of making money. Let's get back to the business of whatever our business is. And by the way, that's our five cards, right? Because that's our business that we live our lives for and that we live our lives about, isn't it? It's what we have written on our five cards. Look over at Psalm 97 real quick. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. Question! Who could be a foe of God Almighty? Hmm. 
Hmm. I bet if you ask Pharaoh, he could tell you. But we tend to not think of that aspect of God, do we? We tend to more think of and rely on the God of the blessings instead of the God of the wrath. But we need to understand the God of wrath is very real. Verse 4, his lightning lights up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. See that small g? What images were the people worshiping back then when that psalm was written? I don't know, but I know the, 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 the images that we worship now, most of them are green and have a picture of a dead guy on them. Right? If I'm telling it like it is, do this and let me know that I am. You see, we look at the people back then and we say, how Foolish of them that they were chasing Asherah poles and that they were chasing the Baals and that they were living their lives worshiping false idols. And instead, we pay homage to our television. We pay homage to our sports. We pay homage to our jobs and our bank accounts. Our businesses and our families and, and all those other things that we allow to define us. Why? Because we have just as many gods now as they did then. The first time we ever saw God Almighty was in Genesis chapter 14 where Abraham had just rescued Lot and he's going to meet Melchizedek. And Melchizedek says that he is the servant of God Most High. And that brings a lot of questions about who Melchizedek was. And by the time we get over to Hebrews, we're still wondering who Melchizedek is or who Melchizedek was. And I say is or was because the way that it's framed, he had no beginning, no end, no mother, no father. Was he a pre-incarnation? And there's a lot of speculation, but the point is, way back here was when we first see the language of this God Almighty, God Most High. Exodus chapter 20. Go ahead and flip over there. It won't take but just a second. Exodus, second book of the Bible. And this is just when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 20. If you look at it, it probably has a subtitle, The Ten Commandments. And I want you to listen, verse 1, 2, and 3, or read along with me. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heaven above or the earth below or in the waters below. You know what God's saying? I am El Elyon. I am Lord Most High. Nothing comes before me. Nothing can compare to me. I am above everything else. That's the exact term that's used in the Ten Commandments. Psalm chapter 139. If you flip back over there.
Verses 23 and 24, this is David's prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you know if you look at the literal translation what the prayer of David is? Look at me, God, and look at my heart and check it for idols. Make sure that I don't have anything before you, God. And that is the literal translation of what David prayed right there when he said, and know my thoughts and test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, look at me and see if I have any idols before me. Flip over to Psalm 81. And again, we're going to see the small g, God. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to God of Jacob. Begin the music and strike the tambourine. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon and when the moon is full on the day of our feast. This is a decree for Israel, an ordinance for the God of Jacob. He established it as a statute for Joseph when he went out against Egypt where we heard a language we did not understand. He says, I remove the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will warn you. If you would but listen to me, O Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not bow down to an alien God. I am the El Elyon. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? Those who hate the Lord would cringe before Him and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Does that sound like us today? It sounds exactly like the class that we had this morning in the auditorium, didn't it? This is yes. Because the message was, how many times do we pledge to follow God, but soon it becomes habit rather than relationship. And so we're putting our check marks in the boxes rather than seeking out who God is because we love Him. And God says, the stuff you have on those five cards, you need to be careful because it could very easily become a priority over me. So take out your five cards real quick. Now, if we had had a lot of time to sit here and develop a theme, I would have talked about each of those things and how important they are to us. And so we don't have time to, but I want you as you look at those cards to focus on what those cards mean to you. And I want you to do something. I want you to take one of them. Just at random, turn them over where you can't even see them. I want you to take one of those things and I want you to take the paper and I want you to crumple it up.
Go ahead. It's okay. Crumple it up. Just take one of those cards at random, one of those five, and crumple it up. Now, if you were working with a bunch of teenagers right now, like a youth minister might, all the kids would be giggling. They'd be starting to throw paper wads at each other, things along those lines, because to them, it's still a silly game. But if you truly think about whatever was on that card, and I don't know, and you may not if you picked it at random, if you think about what was at that card, those five things we started at the start with were things that were important to us. It's where we're spending our time. It's where we're spending our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, and our money, right? And some of us, well, no, I started to say some of us may not really think that stuff can happen to those important things that quickly, but we know that they can. Because how many of you have ever gotten that phone call at 2 in the morning or 3 or 4 or 5 in the morning? And most of us with gray on our head have gotten a phone call like that at some point in time. So now, without looking, take a second one and wad it up. Wad it up, scratch it out, look at it. And we're still feeling kind of silly about this because we realize it's just a game and that I'm setting up a, a false puppet to tear down, right? But if you have your Bibles, flip over to the book of Job, chapter 1. And Job, that's right in front of Psalms, so should be easy to find since that's where we just were. And I want you to understand that stuff like this happens. By the way, before we start reading in Job, I want you to look at your other three cards. Go ahead and look at them. See, two of the five biggies for you in your life are not there anymore. It's left a hole. Maybe it was how you're spending your time or what you're thinking about. Maybe it was, well, something you dream about or hope for. Maybe it was the person that you love the most and are closest to that's not there anymore. And how is that going to affect your life? If it really happened right now today, you walked out that door, your phone rang as soon as you turned the ringer on, and that had happened in real life, how would it affect you and the way that you live your life? Job chapter 1. Starting in verse 6. On or one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where did you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. How many of you would God say that about? Look back at verse 1. There was a man in the land of us, and this man was perfect and upright, one who feared God and eschewed evil. Would God say that about you? I know He wouldn't about me. But this guy, he was living right before the Lord, and the Lord says to Satan, check it out, let's see. Does God cause evil? No. Does God allow evil? Yes. Why does He allow evil? Sometimes to test our hearts and make sure that He really is the God of gods in our lives. Verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds 
spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will very surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and his daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came came up and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. That's two. How many cards have we gotten rid of so far? Two. two. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Take another card and crumple it up. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are all dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Pick a fourth card, get rid of it. This is not an allegory. If the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, and I know that you do too, if the Bible is true and if God said what He meant and He meant what He said, this was a real sequence of events that happened to a real man in a real life, in a real place, at a real time on this earth. And everything that He had in His life disappeared except... Satan still hadn't been allowed to touch him, but if you look at chapter 2, there's probably a heading that says something like Satan's second test, and maybe later it should have included Satan's third test because Satan's, the, the next test to come on Job was his health. He was covered with boils that he had to scrape with pottery as he sat on the ashes of the world burning around him, and his wife is saying, just curse God and die. Go ahead. Take that fifth card. Get rid of it. See, Brad's doing what many, many, many teenagers do. And I'm not saying Brad's a teenager. <laughs> I'm saying that I appreciate that because when I said get rid of that last card, Brad's going... We have our things that we hold dear. And it may not be the same things that you hold dear or you hold dear or you hold dear, but we have our things that make us us that nobody else really understands or nobody else really gets. And so sometimes we can share them, sometimes we keep them inside, but they're the stuff that matters the most to us. And God says, I am the God of all gods, the Lord Almighty. And the question is, am I the God of even that stuff? 
Am I more important than everything else in your life? Because that's the position I want is number one, and I will not settle for anything else. And when you get to the end of the book of Job, it says, and in all of this, Job did not sin. The question is, in real life, if all of those things disappeared for you, would God still be on the throne? See, this is getting personal. I was in Oklahoma Monday setting up a trust. And my older brother was there. And we were talking about our spiritual lives. And he said to me, I'm still mad at God. From back at the time that he was born and he had a brain defect and had to have brain surgeries and our mom basically disappeared for about several years while she was taking care of that and our grandmother got sick with cancer and died within two years from pancreatic cancer and my folks lost everything they owned because of bankruptcy trying to take care of him and they never even got to declare bankruptcy and everything else and everything else and everything else and everything else and 61 years old. And he said, I'm still mad at God. And if everything disappeared from your life, is God still on the throne? If he is, guess what? You can have a confidence unlike anyone else on earth. But if he's not... If he's not, you stand in jeopardy. And you need to get him there. And you need to keep him there. And if we can help you with that in any way, please let us know. We're going to offer an invitation now. You're welcome to come forward. And if we can help you and you don't feel like you need to come forward, but you would like help, let us know as we stand and sing.